Welcome to this week's Extra Film segment for October 20th, 2016, and I'm J.D. Duran. And I'm Brendan Cassidy. Thanks for joining us this week, everybody. If you're not familiar with our Extra Film segment, this is something we do every single Friday where we get together and we talk to small films out there, the indies or classics that we normally don't have time for on our main show, and we have... A good lineup this week that I'm excited to get into. But before we get to that, Brendan, I want to bring up this trailer that I saw this morning. I don't know if you saw it or not, but mm. it looks like a film tailor-made just for me. It's yes. about an older gentleman, this fatherly figure who runs across the path of this young little girl and these people are after her for some sort of reason and he takes it upon himself to essentially protect this little girl it's somewhat like midnight special in that kind of vein for me you know the father figure taking care of the little child it just looks oh that's up your alley man. <laughs> it that just is, looks so is up this, my is alley. the movie called jd's movie <laughs> it's not called that <laughs> But it's a movie called Logan. I'm not sure if you've heard of it or not, but... Uh, I can't say I have. <laughs> wink, wink. Yeah, so it just also happens to be a superhero movie, I think. Something this like that. This sounds too deep for a superhero movie. You know, superhero movies are supposed to be fun. They can't yeah. be deep like this. I, I mean, know. Come on, what, what is this garbage you're watching? I know, God forbid you have authenticity and maturity <laughs> and grittiness and emotional... Right. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. The new trailer for Logan is pretty dope. I know that we have a little post on our website about it where we, we do briefly talk about it that people can go and check out. But yeah, I saw that trailer and was blown away. I mean, the fact yeah. that it's a, a blockbuster is one thing, but the thing for me isn't even that. The fact that he has claws and healing powers is so irrelevant like i'm i'm interested in the drama of that film so. yeah, yeah we couldn't care less about the action anymore it's exciting to see a wolverine film again it's exciting to see that professor actually professor xavier is actually in this movie in some less mental state in yeah. some weird way which is kind of be excited to see but yeah, yeah i'm with you we are more interested in the emotionality behind this i mean and, and i wrote in my yeah. post this universe doesn't really need that but it's it's warranted, and I'm happy to see it nonetheless. That's what makes it really exciting. And I think mm -hmm. just by the way that Brian Singer has been sort of handling some of these more recent X-Men films, and you know, we we get, we acknowledge the flaws of X-Men Apocalypse, but we at least acknowledge that Brian Singer still has a handle yeah. on the characters themselves. Yeah, it feels like they're finally starting to put character first within these fran within this cinematic universe now, and I think that's going to continue on with Deadpool two, and then another yeah. X-Men film with this film and Logan. It's exciting to see what this is going to hold for us now. Yeah, I know. I, I agree. I think if if that movie, speaking of Logan, if it's half as good as what I took out of this trailer, it could not just be one of the better blockbusters next year, but maybe just mm. one of my favorite films in general. So Don't get uh, the hype train too high, <laughs> man. Because I mean, you know that's always a recipe for disaster. I, I agree, and I don't necessarily expect it to be, you know, mind-blowing or earth-shattering or anything like that, but there is a lot of potential for this because of that characterization yeah. you're talking about and the fact that they enter in this child and what she's going to bring to the table based off yeah. of what I see in the trailer that is very appealing to us especially so. Honestly what this reminded me more of because when you look at the uh, resume of director James Mangold who also did The Wolverine prior to doing Logan now his resume is kind of hit or miss when it comes to his more authentic mm -hmm. and genuine films versus some of his blockbuster films such as Night and Day and even The Wolverine which I didn't love but I admired mm -hmm. it because it was a hell of a lot better than X-Men Origins Wolverine. Sure, yeah. Um, which, I mean, that's no contest. But when you look at some of his more authentic works, such as Walk the Line, or even one that's a bit more exciting, like 310 to Yuma, which this yeah. Logan trailer kind of harkened back to something like that. Yeah. If it does follow that trend, I think we're in for something pretty yeah. interesting with this film. I, know. I think that's really exciting. I agree. It's like the executives were like, okay, James, just 
make make those other films and we'll just we'll throw in all the action and stuff later like don't worry about right. that right now so, right it's like okay i can handle that <laughs> so oh <laughs> uh, yeah it looks really promising and speaking of promising and trailers even though this was more of a sneak peek more than anything but the short teaser we got for guardians of the galaxy volume two looks hmm. promising as well i'll just say so well i have my, my thoughts on that and the reason why i didn't offer my thoughts in our write-ups that we just did for both of these trailers is now keep in mind you and i have major pet peeves about what what teaser trailers do these days which even the teaser trailers themselves are sometimes way too revealing and it's almost disappointing to see that so it's interesting to see a teaser trailer like this one for guardians of the galaxy volume 2 and it basically gives you nothing it's 90 Mm -hmm. seconds long they don't even give you the title in the trailer it just says coming soon because it knows exactly what it is and it knows the audience recognizes what it is so i like that about it my concern is that this has been labeled as a quote-unquote sneak peek which makes me think a week or so down the road, we're going to get an extended version of this. Is that is going to be the official teaser trailer, and then it's going to be so revealing to the point that it goes back to our pet peeves. I, I really, know. really hope it doesn't do that because what we got here is what I think a teaser should be. Exactly. This was the definition of the word. It was it a teased. tease. That's it teased. Yeah. All this. That's all this footage did. I mean, whether you want to call yeah. it a teaser trailer or a quote unquote sneak peek, like. I don't really care. This was a teaser trailer. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I agree. I hate it when when studios release quote-unquote teaser trailers, but they actually work as full-length trailers and they give some things away. I just, that that whole thing, that's a whole other conversation for another time. We'll we'll be here for hours, man, seriously. And then you've also got the teasers for the teasers. They're like five or ten seconds long. It's like, come on. I mean, seriously. I know. I don't need any of that. I think as a trailer itself, as a teaser, which is what this is, I think Guardians nailed it perfectly. It got the tone right. It brought the characters back in the the ways that we love them. It brought excitement. And as a teaser, that's all it needed to do. You know, if I want to watch an actual trailer, I can do that months from now. But... You know, yeah. f- for the purposes of what that was supposed to do, that that specific footage, I think it it did a job. It teased me, and so I'm excited for that film. Yeah. So, JD, do you need a hug? Maybe. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so good, <Yeah. laughs> so good. The writing for those movies are great. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> moving on for our extra film this week. We are going to be talking about two very, very different films. In the first half of the show, we are going to be talking about a foreign language film called Cemetery of Splendor. And in the second half of the show, we are going to change gears drastically as we talk about a mockumentary from Christopher Guest that is on Netflix currently, and it is called Mascot. So two very different films, but both I was very excited for going in. My responses to both of them, I'll just say, are drastically different, and I'll leave it at that for the time being but well this will be fun (laughs) yeah exactly so without further ado man let's get into it and here we go You're listening to the In Session Film Podcast Extra Film Segment. Brendan, if you hunger for heaven, that will lead you to hell. Well, good thing I haven't touched that many penises in my life. 
พ่อสิมาบอกป่าว่าซุ่มทหารอยู่ห้องเฮียนป่านั้นหักษาเท่าใดกระบอเศร้าดอกย้อนว่ามองนี้เคยเป็นเรื่องมาแต่เกาดวงวิญญาณของพระราชซาสมุนันน่ะกำลังดูดเอาพระร่างจากทหารสมุนีนี่ละไปเหตุการณ์สู่ลบ All right, Cemetery of Splendor is written and directed by a picture pong. Where's the cool? And stars Janjira Pongpass as well as a few others as well. Pretty mm-hmm. sure I butchered those names, but I think I came close at least on the director <laughs> because we found a clip where he pronounces his name in English, and I came pretty awfully close to yeah, that. So I, I have to say, I think we've done worse. Yeah, I, I think we've done worse. I, actually, yeah. I absolutely agree. So. If you're not familiar with Cemetery of Splendor, it is about a group of soldiers in a small town on the Mekong River in northern Thailand who are struck with a bizarre sleeping illness. There's obviously a lot more to it than that. I will also note that this film is getting rave reviews from critics. Our mm-hmm. friend Josh Larson from Larson on Film and Film Spotting gave this four stars. Absolutely. Love this one of this his best film. of the year, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive into it, Brennan. What did you think about Cemetery of Splendor? Yeah, I'll just dive right into it. I think this absolutely is one of the better, for, at least one of the better foreign language films I've seen this year. I was fascinated by this thing, although I have to have a disclaimer here. Do not operate heavy machinery while watching this film, because more than likely... <laughs> You will fall asleep, but uh, I think that's kind of the point. So uh, I'll get to that as we go, as we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I as I said, I think this film is absolutely fascinating. And what uh, what uh, the uh, writer and director here, uh, Pichit Pong, where's at the cool? Who I'm not terribly familiar with his work. This is actually my first exposure to him as a director. Uh, but I love what he's able to do with the camera here because what he does kind of reminds me of what I love so much about someone like Andre Tarkovsky, JD, who which we did which mm. we did re- pretty recently in one of our yeah. past movie series sure. who is someone that likes to let the camera linger and create a very tonal and dreamlike atmosphere to sure. his films and Where Is It The Cool is very uh, good at doing that in this film. He likes to utilize a lot of long takes that don't even move. The camera is very good at remaining stationary but instead of using uh, typical tropes like music or, or dialogue, he relies mostly on diegetic sounds the the Mm, the the sounds of the background become very key to this film and the reason why i said don't operate heavy machinery while watching this film is because it actually creates this really interesting sense of tranquility i mean this is the kind of Mm. film that if you watch with headphones on it's gonna make your scalp tingle i mean Mm -hmm. it really is and i i really really think that is the point because I think it's utilizing the sen- this sense of tranquility and you know the peace that you get from a sleep state. I think is very symbolic for what this film is trying to get at thematically. And the main character here of Jen and how she is basically a nurse tending these uh, these soldiers in this uh, o- what what was an old school that we find out a little bit later is built over this essentially this cemetery yeah. or, or this burial yeah. ground for these past kings yeah. who are now utilizing or basically using this sleep illness if you will uh, as a means of continuing their own past battles and and basically these soldiers who yeah. are caught within this sleep illness are basically the uh, portals to that in many ways. But what I love about this film is that it utilizes this sleep state as a means of therapy in many ways. And Jen, as she experiences this, kind of starts to look back on her own past and how this affects her is I thought was I thought was really yeah. fascinating. And it was sure. kind of heartbreaking at the same time too. She has a great conversation with someone over the phone. I'm not really sure who it was. She starts reminiscing about a time that she was a young girl uh, and a past homework assignment that she didn't really that she didn't really remember much about, just mm-hmm. that she forgot to hand it in. A simple yeah. thing like that. Yeah. But how these events cause her to start looking back at her own past gives this film a real sense of spirituality and almost like this sense of reincarnation as, as like an example of trying to show how th- how tranquility is a great therapy tool for a lot of these folks, especially in times of terminal such as war. And the fact that these are all soldiers, I think, is very appropriate. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, where Sitakul's direction, the way that he utilizes the camera to create this sense of tranquility and how mm-hmm. calm and peaceful and dreamlike this film is, makes it that much more fascinating, and it was kind of a comforting watch, a very comforting watch, surprisingly. Sure, sure. And 
as 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 fascinating as it was, I also found it kind of moving by the film's climax. I, I this film really came together for me. I think it was one of the better foreign language films I've seen this year. All right. Well, I want to start off my thoughts by referencing Sheila O'Malley's four-star review of this over at RogerEbert.com, where she says, okay. quote, It's difficult to say what Cemetery of Splendor is about, and in many respects, to discuss its meaning would be to diminish it, end quote. And I'm not sure if I 100% agree with that, because we will get into its Meaning, but I yeah. wholly sympathize with the notion because this film's craftsmanship is an elegant work of art that stands on its own very well. This film mm-hmm. reminded me of the assassin that we discussed last year on the uh, show, Brennan. Great example. In the yeah. sense that this film relies heavily on its visual and audio cues to tell its story. The cinematography and sound design is not only pivotal, but just very, very beautiful in this film. And where's mm-hmm. the Cole, as you were talking about, Brennan, he prefers a static camera, but each frame in this film is full to the brim with dynamic color and vivid yeah. detail. There's nothing mundane about this film's imagery. One example that really stands out for me is this wide shot of these escalators in a mall. And it's from a high point of view, so we can see two or three stories down, giving us the layout of this particular section of the mall. And the color palette is very bright, full of energy. We can see people moving all the way throughout this section of the mall. And where's the call? He slowly fades out of that, and he transitions back to the hospital room, where Mm -hmm. it's more dark, except for these poles right next to these beds they light up and the light reflects similar light that we see from the mall so while it is Mm -hmm. a slow transition from the mall to this room it's very seamless and once we get to the hospital room like you were saying he just kind of lingers there again with the stationary camera for what Mm -hmm. felt like at least another minute or so as oh, we I just think it was longer than that. It <laughs> might've been longer than that. It may have been yeah. two or three minutes where the camera just lingers there. And we see light from these poles gradually change shifting from white to pink to red and even blue hues amplifying a rather transcendent and dreamlike ambiance and Mm -hmm. that's this film i agree with you brennan it's a dreamscape this film is very hypnotic and beautiful Mm -hmm. it's an utterly surreal dreamscape it doesn't abide by any rules of structure but it's thematic and symbolic undercurrent does give this film a firm backbone last week on the show brennan we were talking about the korean film the wailing And Mm -hmm. I argued that that film failed in its ambiguity because it wanted to evoke emotion without giving us half of the details necessary for that pathos to work. Right. But this film succeeds in its ambiguity because it fully commits to it for me. This film is Mm -hmm. wholly about interpretation. That's what this film is going for. Ironically, though, and I agree with you, Brennan, there is a subtle emotionality to this film that is felt because it's not purposefully trying to elicit a visceral response. This film Mm -hmm. lets its filmmaking and its acting and its imagery and its undercurrent give this film heart. That's where it succeeds. It knows its vision and it sticks to it. And I certainly respect that about this movie. I think that's why it works, but similar to the wailing, this film is also flirting constantly on the edge of reality and the fantastical. Mm. This film views the world from our reality, so its fantastical elements feel more grounded. And I think that approach makes this film more accessible, and it's easier to grapple with despite its ambiguity. We're Mm. able to relate more with its ideas, such as suffering or memory, Because it's personified, and that's such a unique way to tackle the ideas this film is going after. In some ways, I feel like using words to articulate this film, even though we have to, it is a podcast. (laughs) But I feel like... Let's just stay quiet (laughs) and let the microphones capture whatever is in the background and say, that's a review of this film. (laughs) Yeah, we have to. This is audio form after all, but... 
I feel like in some ways using words to articulate what this film is doing simply doesn't do it justice. Going back to mm. O'Malley's words on this film, because this is a film you truly experience. You you just need to watch it and feel what this movie is about because that's ultimately what it's going for and that's how it succeeds. Absolutely. And I guess kind of on that note, and you were talking about the filmmaking of this film and how it's meant to be experienced. And I think arguably the star of the of, of this film more than anyone else is its audience. I think mm-hmm. this is a film that audience interpretation is really what's going to drive this for you. And as in my opening thoughts, I relayed a lot of uh, thoughts that I had during my experience of this film, especially when it comes to the film thematically. But I think it's worth noting that that was my experience of the film. Yeah. That is not necessarily what I even think the filmmakers were trying to say here or what I objectively think the film is about because you're absolutely right that the dreamscape nature of this film and the way it kind of flirts with this bending of reality so to speak, I think is very deliberate because it's about this sense of interpretation that any audience member can bring onto this film and that's really what dreams are all about. Uh, and, you mm-hmm. know, every, every person dreams certain things that relate to their own sense of reality, whether that be their own personal desires, traumas, recapturing old memories, uh, deeply rooted in deja vu, whatever it might be, it's all up to you. And I think that's what makes this film so fascinating for me, because you can watch it in any state that you're at, and I feel like you can get something out of it in every respect in that regard. Basically, it makes it a different viewing experience if you were to watch it multiple times, which I think is the sign of a great film. And Mm -hmm. I think this film has that characteristic. So for a lot of those reasons, even though I felt like there was enough drama in this film to keep me engaged emotionally, a lot of that is because what of what I was able to project onto this film. But I like that this film takes ownership in that ambiguity, as you were saying, and very deliberately so, by making the audience interpret what they want and having their own experience with this film. That's what's yeah. really quite fascinating. I completely agree. And speaking of interpretation and where you could go with this film, there are several outcomes that you could take away depending on your own experiences and what you see in this film. It could be about spirituality. It could be about how we cope with suffering. This film could be a commentary on post-traumatic stress or Mm -hmm. certain illnesses. It could be a social commentary on the current state of things in Thailand. It really could be many things. But for me personally, this movie is about the process of perceiving something that is beyond what we know to be true. When Mm. we see the Jen character for the first time, she finds herself in a familiar place. She is volunteering at this hospital. And as you were alluding to in your opening thoughts, Brennan, it's also her old school and being in this space sparks these memories for her. Additionally, she is taking care of these soldiers who do nothing but sleep, obviously because of this weird illness they have, which presents these ideas of dreams that start to blur themselves with her actual waking life. And throughout this entire movie, we see her being reflective and seemingly susceptible to other dimensions that are at, that are at play. And one could argue that the experiences that she has with the it character, who is one of the soldiers she's taking care of, or these two women that she meets who present themselves as goddesses at one Mm -hmm. point, they are simply reflections of her seeking understanding. And there are a couple of examples that highlight this very well for me. The first being that she goes on a couple of dinner dates with the It character where the two of them talk about dreams and memories and they make observations about their current circumstances. And the two of them develop a striking friendship that is really charming, but maybe all of that, it's just Jen trying to decipher her life at this current moment. Sure. Another example would be this moment she has where she's in the garden with one of these goddess characters and Jen Mm -hmm. is explaining to her what happened to her leg, which one of them is significantly shorter than the other causes her a lot of pain and she has to use crutches. And at one point after explaining all this, the goddess 
gets on her knees, starts washing her leg and kissing it, which is very similar and parallels a lot of John 13 from the Bible. And for those unfamiliar, it's a passage where Jesus washes his disciples' feet and kisses them and does a lot of similar things. And as the goddess is doing this, Jen starts crying. And it's a very poignant moment that reflects her emotional state as it relates to her injury. And I think a lot of this film, for as bizarre as it gets at times, for as ambiguous as it is, I think it's simply a study about our desire for understanding. And in Mm -hmm. that process, it sometimes means going beyond what we know to be true. And I think that idea coupled with this film's beautiful imagery is provocative in the end. Absolutely. And and it shows our desire to understand what is ultimately the non-understandable in many ways. And I and I mm-hmm. think that's always kind of fascinating here. And I think it utilizes dreams themselves as a great symbolic nature for that. And it but but I think it actually has a very interesting psychological message around that too because we can sit here and argue about the nature of our own dreams themselves and Mm -hmm. how they represent whether they be our own inner desires the recapturing of old memories and i talked a lot about that in my opening thoughts as well and i think this film is a reflection of that too and the way it ties spirituality to that i think shows how these states are actually very therapeutic from a spiritual sense, and I think that's all symbolic recon- symbolically recognized here. And I think another great example of that, too, that I think represents this film's ambiguity even, even more as we continue to talk about this film is actually its final five minutes, which I don't really want to get into mm-hmm. yeah. because, I, you know, even though not, not a whole lot happens in this film from a narrative standpoint, so it's it's really easy to just say what happens and it wouldn't even sound like a spoiler, but I'm not going to say what it is just for that reason. Uh, but there's a lot of ambiguity from a narrative standpoint within the fir- the final five minutes of this film. Uh, and you can almost start to question whether or not what we just experienced in this two hours was actually real or a fabrication of some yeah. sorts, or perhaps yeah. maybe a dream. And the movie never answers that, but I like that it chooses not to answer that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also deeply re- uh, represented in the film's final shot of mm-hmm. Jen. I don't want to say what it is, but it perfectly parallels this conversation that she had with this goddess in that garden scene at, that you were talking about, and just the way that her eyes look. The idea that she now wants to stay awake could mean so many things. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. But I think it is incredibly fascinating. And I think it actually, in one scene, in one one final shot, ties everything together in a very interesting way that I thought was fascinating as well. I completely agree. And like you were saying, I love that this film doesn't answer that question of was it real or wasn't it? I do believe it could go either way because... If Mm -hmm. it is played out in a more literal manner, it's executed in a way where Jen does come to a realization and it could come from the fact of, well, I just experienced these things firsthand and now I have to reflect on that. Or it could be the opposite. And sometimes dreams are so visceral that we have that kind of reaction. So either way, I think it works wonders, and I think it wonderfully reflects these ideas of seeking understanding. No matter matter whether it was real or not, she experienced these conversations and these, these intimate moments. So whether they were real or not is kind of irrelevant in the long run. But I love how throughout the film, there is this wonderful blend of realism and fantastical. It's always flirting with that edge and you never really know what's going on. It is very strange, but it's executed in such a great way. And it's Mm -hmm. littered with some really great symbolism that I think for a lot of Western audiences will be unattainable because we don't really know all of the Thailand culture or the folklore that this film is bringing up. But I don't think you need to know all of it. All you need to know is there's these notions of spirituality. There are these spirits that she runs across. There are the soldiers she's taking care of. And to a degree, some of that is very real. It's very real. And you get to decipher as the audience what's real and what isn't. So going back to Mm -hmm. your argument about how we're 
somewhat the stars of this movie, or at least we are pivotal players in the outcome of it. I completely agree. And again, in execution, it's really quite something else. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's get to final thoughts and grades. So any other final thoughts and what grade would you give Cemetery of Splendor? Yeah, just to bounce off of what you're just saying there before I go into my other final thoughts, uh, you're talking about how that there is basically this balance in this film uh, that it never teeters toward the side of realism versus the side of dreamscape. It basically is mm-hmm. one of the most balanced seesaws I think I've ever yeah. seen in a movie that basically yeah. stays stationary throughout the entire film at a perfect 180 degree, which I think is a very difficult thing to keep that balance without teetering towards one side or the other. But the movie manages to do that. And I think it's also safe to say that no matter the uh, literal outcome of the film's final final shot, if you will, whether or not you can argue the realism of everything versus the dream-like nature of it all, it's no question that the character of Jen actually does develop as a character in this film. And she Mm -hmm. learns something, not just about her own life and her own past, but she starts to look towards her own future. And I think that's what the her eyes in that final shot actually represent is a new life that she's going to achieve for herself in many ways. And I think this experience, whether it be dream or reality or whatever you consider it to be, she learned something from that. And kind of going alongside that, I think the reason why it also works, you know, looking up from a filmmaking side of things now, is actually Jinjiro Pongas' performance here. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, it's yeah. very understated. She really doesn't do... I guess you can argue she really doesn't do much, but mm-hmm. at the same time, she's doing a hell of a lot. <laughs> yeah. she, she has to literally act with her eyes a lot, not just in that final shot, as I've been talking about her eyes in that final shot. Uh, and to those who have seen the film, you probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But she, she has a knack of being able to communicate without verbally communicating. And that's, a, that's also a knack to, uh, you know, uh, writer and director Vera Set the Cool as well, but uh, Pongas's performance as Jen, I think, needs to be just as well credited because the emotionality of this film is still intact for me objectively because of what they're still able to bring to this film. And that mm-hmm. is really, really uh, something spectacular here. And you lump on everything else we've talked about, the uh, open-ended uh, themes you could take from this film, whatever whatever you perceive it to be. You've got the great cinematography here, the uh, use of diegetic sounds to create this tranquil atmosphere. I mean, I, if you fall asleep watching this film, I think that's actually a good thing. <laughs> I, sure. I, I mean, I, I, sure. I really, I really sure. do. And it's for that reason, it's actually one of my favorite films of the year just for its sound editing. I love the sound editing of this yeah. film. I think that's all put together as well. And even the mixing as well. I think that's all really well done. I would probably give this at least an A-. minus. I think as far as foreign language films go, I think it is also one of the better ones this year. It won't be for everyone, but if you're able to uh, perceive it in, a, in your own personal way and get something from it, then the film did its job, and I hope it rewards you for it. Yeah, man, I'm completely with you. As far as final thoughts for me, one of the things I want to know is that there are some interesting touches of humor in this film that I enjoyed. It will perhaps <laughs> be jarring to some, but I found oh, man. it to be pretty funny. There's one example where Jen is eating fruit as she's meeting these goddesses, and Mm -hmm. it's very awkward. It's very weird for her because she's, I mean, these are normal looking people, right, that present themselves as modern women. And yet she's hearing, oh, yeah, we're dead, by the way. (laughs) And her response to that is hysterical. It is so, so funny. There's another great moment where one of the soldiers, he gets, I'll just say, sexually aroused. And again, the nurse's response to that is pretty hysterical as well. We (laughs) sort of alluded to that in setting up the clip. Yeah. comes out of nowhere, yeah. but I loved it for that reason. I I agree. I thought it was really funny and well-timed and very well-played. And I think part of the reason it works, as well as most of the drama, the ambiguity, the film's themes, is also in Jinjeri Pongpass's performance. I completely agree. We cannot overlook 
her in this film. She, her performance is mostly subtle, very understated, but there's a lot going on in her character in terms of reflection. And that reflection, yeah. as I was alluding to, is so, so important to me in this film. So I, w- I wanted to highlight her real fast as well. One thing that you mentioned in your opening thoughts, Brennan, that I have to bring up because I think it's pivotal to this film, and I completely agree with you, is this film's quiet calmness that just completely Mm. engulfs the entire movie. As we were stating, the camera is stationary most of the time, even though it's full of alluring imagery, but it's so gentle, so calm. The actors are always tranquil, very soft-spoken, And until the final sequence of the film, the music is used sparingly. And when it's it's, practically non-existent, I I completely agree. And when it is used, it's pretty composed, one could say. (laughs) And I think that kind of technical precision amplifies this movie's themes and notions about reflecting and our desire for something beyond us. It's the idea that you can only find peace when it is well peaceful. Mm-hmm. And I think the filmmaking behind those ideas, I think work wonderfully in reflecting what it's really going for. And if you're willing yeah. to fall under this film's spell, and I agree, Brennan, the pacing of this film is not going to be for everybody. It will put some people mm-hmm. to sleep. That tranquility certainly resonates here. But if you're able to fall under this film's spell, it's a truly magical experience. I think, I feel like a lot of this film's on nature illustrates beautifully how strange this journey of seeking understanding can be. I mean, if you are paying attention to our political landscape at all, you will certainly know that to be true. And I think if you watch this film and you feel lost, like Brennan said, that's not a bad thing. Just stick with it. If you fall asleep, come back to it. This film's evocative imagery and sentimentality will give you something to grapple with. I think it's fantastic. And the last thing I want to highlight real fast is the aesthetics of the film's hospital. Hmm. It's an old rustic school that's using new and modern medical technology. Again, it has these bed poles that feature these bright and shifting colors throughout the entire film. And as a result, the hospital's ambiance is a stirring blend of past and future that renders this amazing feeling of antiquity and the contemporary. It's really quite fascinating and an achievement I really haven't seen in a film in quite some time. That balance of mm-hmm. old school and new school aesthetically, I think, is is one of my favorite things about this film. The filmmaking here is objectively amazing. I, I, I No yeah. one can really argue the filmmaking behind this film. Right. And I do think underneath all of it, there's rich substance that a lot of people can walk away with. I certainly did as well. I would give this an A-. minus. I agree, Brennan. It's one of the better foreign language films that we have seen this year. I subjectively still prefer Rams and A War um, and perhaps uh, Jafar Panahi's Taxi. But this is still mm. very good and one that... I would highly recommend, and I still think objectively it's in the conversation for best that we have seen this year either way. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, and it's available right now on Amazon. You can go and check that out, and we will have more thoughts on this, hopefully coming soon, in a written review that you can check out at InCessionFilm.com. And if you agree or disagree with our takes on Cemetery of Splendor, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash incessionfilm or tweet us at incessionfilm. You can also leave us a comment on our Google Plus page or email us directly at incessionfilm at gmail.com. All right, coming up next, as we alluded to in the intro, we are going to be talking about something very, very different. I don't think these two films could be any more polar opposites from one another. So Uh we're going to be talking about Christopher Guest. We are going to be talking about the world of mascots and all of the silly goofiness that comes with that. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
wife, Jessica, I have an idea. What's that, husband Dustin? As you know, we love movies. Yes, dear, I know. But we also love podcasts. I'm aware, my love. And then there's this other part of us that really loves movie commentary tracks. Get to the point, sweetheart. Well, if we made a movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program, it would certainly be the best married couple movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program on the internet, right? Without doubt. But whatever would we call it? We are the Popcorn Poops. Popcorn Poops is a weekly podcast hosted by married couple Dustin and Jessica Kramer. That's us. Each week we choose a movie based on a monthly theme and then we sit down and record a syncable commentary track as we watch the movie. But what makes Popcorn Poops special is that you don't have to sync up our podcast to enjoy the show, so you can listen to us like you would any other standalone podcast. On our show, we like to talk about theory, story structure, genre conventions, and trivia with a healthy dose of dick jokes. Gotta have the dick jokes. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram for frequent updates about the show, including our weekly movie still identification game. Visit us on the web at popcornpoops.com. We'll be waiting for you, and not in a creepy way. Okay, kind of a creepy way. Yeah, okay, fair warning. You're listening to the Incession Film Podcast Extra Film Segment. JD, my name is Brendan Cassidy, and I am the current co-host on Incession Film, and I am currently serving six temporary suspensions from film podcasting. Yeah, but that last one on True Bromance was Hyro's fault. My name is Tommy, also known as The Fist. I am the official mascot of the Blue Lake Mallards. A lot of people say I'm the bad boy of sports mascottery. And to be fair, I am currently serving six temporary suspensions from different stadiums for some physical incidents that took place between myself and some opposing players and team mascots. I'm also currently serving a lifetime ban from the Calgary Cavaliers for a sexual incident that took place between myself and their team owner's wife. All right, so Mascots is co-written and directed by Christopher Guest and stars Zach Woods, Sarah Baker, Michael Hitchcock, Tom Bennett, Fred Willard, Parker Posey, Chris O'Dowd, and a slew of people, Indeed. a lot of people yep. in this film. If you're not terribly familiar with Mascots, it's a Netflix original film, so it's another one for Netflix, uh, and it is a look into the world of competitive mascots and it's in a mockumentary style which is very much in line with christopher guest's past films such as best in show a mighty wind even going back to his role in this is spinal tap so this is definitely something that is arguably up his alley so how does it live up to his past resume jd what did you think about mascots well first i want to note that i am a fan of christopher guest i Mm -hmm. love best in show i really adored a mighty wind as well and while Mm -hmm. he didn't direct this is spinal tap he did write a lot of that film as well as acting it so overall his resume for this mockumentary style i think has been pretty stellar i was looking forward to mascots i think the premise here is hysterical. A look into yeah. the world of competitive mascottery, as Crystal Dowd's <laughs> character put it, I think is hysterical. I love that idea on paper, but this film is a huge disappointment. <laughs> huge mm. disappointment. Now, I know comedy is very subjective, right? Of all the genres, it is the most subjective, but sure. there's not much about this film that I found all that funny. I think the premise had a lot of rich potential, as I was talking about, but it wasted that potential for these silly gags that amounted to nothing for me. And silly has to be expected, right? Because of this style of filmmaking. But this movie has no backbone to support that silliness. I didn't find it funny. It just felt like random goofiness to me. The film spends more than 30 minutes on character introductions and it's difficult for a 90 minute film to go anywhere if a third of the movie is simply introducing us to the players involved and i Mm -hmm. find that problematic here and what's even more frustrating is that this film wastes the likes of Chris O'Dowd. He's easily the best thing about this. I loved his character. His introduction is hysterical. We played some of it in the clip introducing this particular review, and I think he's great. I love him when he's on screen, 
but he's not on screen all that often. And you can't mm-hmm. hire someone like Chris O'Dowd and then not have him do anything. And the thing is, they do have him do, especially after that introduction. It, it just makes absolutely no sense to me. And it was just, just very dull in, in, in the writing for his character, which was very, very unfortunate and his character also features the only flashback scene which comes out of nowhere it's it's just Mm. odd to me from a direction standpoint that you would throw in some random jarring flashback scene and then you don't do it the rest of the film i think that speaks to christopher guest and his focus in this film now to be fair there are some individual moments that are pretty funny in particular i also liked the introduction of owen galley jr played by tom bennett i thought was pretty funny and his and his mascot act at the end of the movie was actually fun to watch the whole film builds up to his character using this ladder in his act and it surprisingly pays off in the end i thought it was actually quite funny and in general i thought all of the mascots acts in the third act of this movie were surprisingly well choreographed and sure at least compared to what I expected them to be. I, I thought it, I thought it was pretty well done for the most part. I think overall this film doesn't have much to offer. Again, there are some individual gags, but there's nothing that glues any of this together. You look at a film like Best in Show, and that film feels like it all fits together. The direction, the acting, the gags, all of it meshed very well to make for a fun experience. And this movie doesn't even feel like a film. It's more like a bunch of short films that they edited together sloppily to make Mm. this 90-minute feature. So unfortunately, I cannot recommend this film. Before I get to my thoughts, I want to reiterate something you said at your opening, JD, and that is I, too, am overall a fan of what Christopher Guest has done in the past. Uh, I liked what he brought to This Is Spinal Tap, even though, like you said, it wasn't directed by him. It was directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, But looking at movies like Best in Show and A Mighty Wind... Those two films are so charming, and and they're so funny, and there's actually Mm -hmm. a consistency that flows through them. And at the same time, those two films, I think, actually respectively teach you something about the world that it's actually mockumenting, if if you will. Uh, and, And that's what I was really excited for with Mascots. And in your thoughts... You called it kind of a, you basically called it a missed opportunity at one point. And mm-hmm. while I wouldn't go as far as to say Mascots is one of the worst films I've seen this year, it might be the biggest missed opportunity of a film that I've seen this year. So long story short, we're very much in agreement on this film. I was not a fan of Mascots. The premise is so interesting on paper, especially mm-hmm. when you look at it in the sports world. The one thing we don't talk about that much are the mascots yeah. and some you know yeah. like, and, and some of them are classic mascots you know growing up in eastern pennsylvania myself you know baseball being very big in the united states as it is everyone talks about mm-hmm. the philly fanatic who is the philadelphia phillies mascot i mean yeah. i'm not saying i'm a phillies fan but that's just something that you talk about and yeah. it's not something we don't it's it, yeah. it makes for a great premise for a film that i thought I agree. this could have captured And the problem is that it doesn't, because at 90 minutes, there's no way to connect everything together. And the big problem for me, more than anything else, is that it is so overstuffed with characters. There are Mm, way way too too many many characters in this film. And, And the other problem I have with it is, even though we do spend like a third of the movie in just this interview type style to get to know these characters which is very much in the christopher guest fashion it's definitely part of his his uh, aesthetic unlike movies like best in show and a mighty wind and i called those films charming there is nothing charming about the absolute snobbery of these characters here in mascots you don't yeah. give a crap about any of them and, except and, chris and o'dowd i kind of like this life except chris o'dowd and a few others as well yeah. you also mentioned tom bennett uh, as uh yeah, Owen. yeah i thought yeah. he was he, he was, was another great, yeah, yeah he was another great example and and i also threw out fred willard as one of the stars yeah. in this film and he his scenes actually have some of the most uh charming laughs that could almost borderline on being offensive at times yep. but he plays yep. he plays it so playfully that it actually Actually works. I cannot say that about any of the others in this film. Uh, like, I agree. You know, f- folks like Zach Woods and Sarah Baker, who play a married couple here, I think are two despicable oh human gosh. beings. And awful, and I, just awful. Yeah, yeah. And Parker Posey, who I actually uh, tend to like in certain films, I didn't really 
I, I wouldn't find her despicable, but I just didn't really care for her in this film. And that's a huge problem when you have this many characters, which makes it that much more imbalanced. And at 90 minutes, it actually felt like a drag at times. And that was really the biggest problem I had with this film. And on top of that, unlike Best in Show and A Mighty Wind, I'm not sure I really learned anything new about the world of sports mascotting. Yeah. Uh, and, and, that's, yeah. and that's kind of what makes it even more of a missed opportunity. Now... Kind of like what you said, there are some great moments here. Uh, I mentioned, you know, some of the scenes with Fred Willard. There's a conversation he has with this uh, with with this dwarf character that plays a, mm-hmm. like a small worm in one of these sketches, and I thought that was actually really funny. Uh, the actual routines in the film's final third, I think, are very fun to watch. It's not every day you get to see a mascot plumber actually have a dance routine with a mascot piece of turd. (laughs) It doesn't happen that often. And it's actually kind of fun to watch in this film. Yeah. But that's really the extent of what I can say that I enjoyed with this film. The rest of it is a complete missed opportunity. And I am like you, I can't recommend it. It's a disappointment for me. Yeah, I agree. I was hoping that they would maybe not give something insightful but i at least wanted to learn something more about this world or at least just do something interesting with it and i feel like they don't because as you were talking about there are so many characters we literally spend Mm -hmm. more than 30 minutes just getting to meet these characters and, and 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 setting up this world and it's hard to dive fully into this when you have that many characters. And as a result, by the time you get to the end and you get to some of those final acts, I've only seen these characters a handful of times. So why should I care? And it doesn't help when a bunch of them aren't very charming as you've been talking about. You are, you were mentioning the scene with Brad Williams who plays the worm. I found that scene more awkward than anything. I didn't find that very funny in particular, but I will say there are a lot worse scenes than that one, but that one just didn't really work for me. It left me scratching my head. The whole Mm -hmm. subplot with this rabbit walking around the hotel. What the f*** was that all about? What is it doing here? (laughs) What is that? That has got to be one of the worst subplots of all time. It just makes absolutely no sense and they never address it. And if it's supposed to be funny because it makes no sense, then it fails because it's, like you said, We maybe, again, comedy subjective, but I'm with you. I just, it was distracting more than anything else for me. I agree. There's also a scene with, I want to say, the Parker Posey character, and she runs into a little bit of trouble when the the board that is running this mascot competition is considering revoking her mascot status, which right, I don't want to get into. Yeah. yeah, which I don't want to get into because it doesn't matter. But I found it really <laughs> odd because it was such a jarring tonal shift. One, the conflict doesn't matter, and it doesn't go anywhere. They just bring it up randomly for no reason, and it becomes this oddly poignant scene that makes no sense with the rest of the film. <sighs> so it, it to me, that was the problem. I, I think there are some interesting ideas here on paper, but like I was saying, I think the best way to describe this, it was it was like a bunch of individual short films that were coming from different perspectives that were edited together to try to make this into one 90 minute experience. And it just doesn't make any sense. It left me scratching my head a lot. There's just no mm-hmm. substance here, which is unfortunate and very different than other Christopher Guest mockumentaries. Like you were saying, Brendan, you can watch Best in Show and actually get something out of it other than just laughs. You can learn yeah. something along the way. You're not going to get that here. Absolutely not. And uh, you know, you bring up that that one example of that conflict that is brought up with the Parker Posey character, and it literally is like three minutes of the movie, and then it's resolved, and then you don't talk about it again. And yeah. that happens a lot in this film. And I feel like it would have worked if maybe there were less characters or enough ways to balance all of these things together. Which a film like Best in Show and even A Mighty Wind was able to do that fairly well. And the balance of those films was really on point. This felt like it was 
thrown together by an editor that didn't know what the movie was supposed to be about exactly. and just had all these yeah. splices together and just didn't really know what to do with it. And it's it's kind of unfortunate because there are some individual moments here that I thought were pretty funny. The problem is that they just don't amount to anything in the nature of the film as a whole. Another example is maybe a few examples just from a general sense are some of the conversations that these judges have together, which I thought mm. were kind of funny in their own right. There's there's this one where these uh, these two are having this conversation about uh, it's basically about the sexual encounter with this rabbit that you're talking about, which is yeah. I agree, totally nonsense here. But the conversation they have about it, like they call it, like no one's gonna be yiffing or yanging around yeah. it, something like that. Which on paper, I think that's pretty funny. In the midst of this movie as a whole, it makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> and it why is be it here? here. It's, yeah, I agree. yeah, ab- absolutely. And that I happens agree. so many times. And the last thing I'll say is, on top of all that. There are some jokes in this film that I actually think Christopher Guest does go a little too far. And I would say there are moments that do borderline on being a little bit offensive at times. Mm-hmm. There is one scene where the uh, I think it was the plumber mascot is asked to do a routine yes, at this school. I agree. And and, yes, yeah, and I agree. I, I just, I'll just say what it was. I mean, I don't care about spoilers at this point. He is giving a routine for for children at this school and faculty at this school, and they're all blind. And, 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 and on top of that, you don't even see the routine. It cuts away, which totally just feels like unresolved conflict from an objective sense. But even subjectively... I found that rather offensive. That I found that kind of distasteful mm-hmm. in the long run, too. And that happens a few times in this film like that. Yeah, I agree with that moment. And even going back to the Brad Williams were moment, I was borderline there as well. I don't think it's as okay. bad as the plumber mascot with the blind people. But I agree. Yeah. There are certain times where this film does flirt with crossing a line. It doesn't need to be crossing. And even going back to that scene with Parker Posey and the possibility of them revoking her mascot status, the reason that they're considering revoking her status is because her mascot or her school's mascot is is a derogatory term for Native Americans. Oh, man, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And the way that was handled, I agree, also flirted with that line and probably even crossed it there as well. That one did, yeah. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot about that, but that was the most offensive part of this film. The way that these judges talk about it off, you know, after the character of Parker Posey's character leaves the room and they deliberate about it is, I don't even want to talk about it. It actually made me angry. It it really did. And it's it's borderline offensive to the point of aggravating. It really is. I, I agree. Now, to be fair, one of the judges does stand up for the the right notion there and is like hey this is offensive we probably shouldn't consider this but in the grand scheme of things it's still played for laugh in a way that i it just didn't settle very well for me i absolutely agree with that uh let's get to final thoughts and grades jd any final thoughts and what grade would you give mascots i want a whole mockumentary just on the tommy zook Zuccarello character, the the Chris O'Dowd <laughs> character. I just want ninety minutes of him because I thought he was fascinating when he was on screen. I think the introduction yeah. of his character, where they are doing it interview style, I thought was the best scene of this entire film for me, anyway. And, and part of it is I subjectively love hockey, and I love how they're kind of poking fun at, at hockey there a little bit. Oh, but yeah. sure. I also love the the final act he has in this competition where he skates out and it's this hardcore rock music or whatever. And he's like, he has like these, <laughs> these different displays set up that he's like pounding through with his fist. And as the act ends, and sorry, I'm going to spoil this because we don't recommend this film at all. No. But his, his mascot is literally a giant fist. That's what he's actually in the costume of. And mm-hmm. as he's finished with his routine and he's about to walk away, he unzips the middle finger. So the middle finger <laughs> sticks up at the audience. <laughs> I thought was very good. I think that whole routine is very reflective of some hockey circles anyway. I don't want to say all of them, but uh, some anyway. I think yeah. they. Enough to get it right. <laughs> to get it right so i feel like that character is is handled really great i don't know about the the final twist in at the at the film's end that felt like it came out of nowhere but everything else with his character when he was on screen i really enjoyed 
and that's about it. That's all that I can say for this movie. So <laughs> I give this uh, a generous C minus. Yeah, uh, one thing I got to agree with you, man, is I would see a whole movie with Chris O'Dowd's character in here. And you know what? I would actually lump in Tom Bennett's character as yeah. well. And they actually he, share he some was screen good too. time yeah. on here. Yeah. I think they could have been the stars of this film. Yeah, and I the been, two of them? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I would have been perfectly fine with that. And we would have followed their stories here with maybe some of the quirkiness of the judges and some of the audience members kind of sprinkled here and there. And, you know, one thing I think that this movie does get right, though, speaking of the routine that you brought up that Chris O'Dowd's character gives is how the audience just eats it up but the judges hate it yeah i mean i i i, I did i yeah. did really like that juxtaposition and that dichotomy yeah. there i thought that was kind of fascinating and how he is someone that actually speaks to the public rather than you know those that are actually going to be judging him in the long run i i like yeah. that he was it was a very punk performance and, and, I, and yeah. I really like that about it yeah but it's so those moments like that are so few and far between in this mess that I still have to stand by that it really is a missed opportunity and probably my least favorite thing that I've seen Christopher Guest do as both mm. a director, writer, mm. even just what he's done for film. This is not his best work. I know he's better than this, and I still would hope to see him continue these mockumentary style films in this type of you know this type of competing environment, whatever it might be. Uh, and I think he had great potential with this film. And I think the balance, the characterization, no. the blend here just doesn't work. And on top of it being borderline offensive at times. Cannot recommend this one as well. I would give this a generous C minus as well, but I would not give anything above that uh, yeah, just for all me those either. reasons. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you want to see some more of our thoughts, we should have a full review that you can check up on our website eventually at InsessionFilm.com. And again, we'd love your feedback. So leave a comment on our website at InsessionFilm.com or hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. And the last thing I'll say, Brendan, I do love this premise, and in a world of remakes that we get today, I honestly yeah. wouldn't mind someone remaking Let's remake this. it. Let's do that. <laughs> because there, I do. There are two, mo- yeah, two movies that deserve remakes now, Mascots and Pixels. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. So if someone wants to make that happen, I'll totally be on board. But uh, yeah. anyway, that will do it for this week's show. Just a friendly reminder that if you want to hit us up on social media, you can do that. That we're pretty active on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, and YouTube. Just search in session film and you'll find us there. And we do respond to every piece of email. So email us in session film at gmail.com and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Also, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Jabbercast. But while you're on iTunes, please leave us a review there. We really appreciate some feedback there. We really take those reviews very, very seriously. You can also find us on Google Play Music, which you can find a link for on our website at InsessionFilm.com. Our podcasts are syndicated every single week at GeekCastRadio.com and The Lamb Podcast Network. You can also check out our Listen Now page from our website at InsessionFilm.com slash listen dash now. And the Incession Film Podcast is supported by our great listeners like you. If you want to help us, just go to our website at InsessionFilm.com. There you can click on our bonus content tab there in our main menu to listen to a variety of awesome bonus content for just a small donation of 99 cents. Or you can simply go to InsessionFilm.com slash donate, and there you'll see a bunch of information in how you can help us. And one thing that I would highly recommend is checking out our mobile app where you can hear everything we do under one roof for just a one-time fee of one 99 and you can find that app on the amazon market for android devices the windows 8 phone store for windows devices and the podcast box app for ios devices and again you can see all those details on the site at incessionfilm.com slash apps as for the main show this weekend on episode 192 we are going to be discussing tom cruise and jack reacher never go back which i hear is awful but we've already committed to it so (laughs) we are going to be talking about that we're going to be talking about our favorite tom cruise quotes and lines in his movies and we're going to be continuing our harry potter movie series with harry potter and the order of the phoenix i am looking forward to that show brennan before Mm -hmm. we get out of here final thoughts man what you got I guess we can't go back now, Jack Reacher. Thank you for that. Um, (laughs) And I totally called it, and I texted you this. Uh, The film that is getting the most positive reviews this weekend is Ouija, Origin of Evil. 
And uh, Mike Flanagan, I think, is a guy to look out for in the horror film circuit because after Oculus, which I think was pretty underrated, and Hush, which is on Netflix, a very good horror film this year, I think he has got a knack that I really like about him. So it doesn't surprise me. Maybe we should lump that on for a Halloween episode coming up. Might be a good one to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I would certainly be down to discuss that film. It had, what, a 92, 93% in Rotten Tomatoes the last it, it's, I saw? It's down to like in the low 80s now, but it's it's going to okay. probably end up being fresh. Okay, well still, that's a lot better than I expected. So. Especially <laughs> when it's coming off of a film like Ouija. I know, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we could certainly consider that. And uh, speaking of extra film, there are going to be some changes coming to the show that if you follow us on social media and our website, you'll know a few reasons why. But we are looking forward to the future of the Incession Film Podcast. So mm-hmm. stay tuned for changes that we'll probably get to next year. But the the rest of this year, we're going to be certainly exploring options. And we're, we are pretty excited for that. So uh, yeah. And thanks to everyone that listens to the show and supports us, both the main show and Extra Film. We really, really, truly appreciate it. So, yeah, absolutely. On that note, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you guys next time on the Incession Film Podcast. Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.